Well, we're going to be in Proverbs. We're going to pick up uh, where we left off last time, and we'll be in chapter 3, and if you have a blue Bible, you can go ahead and turn to page 528. And our passage is going to be verses 13 through 26. We're going to do a little bigger chunk this time because we want to make progress as we're working our way through Proverbs. And this morning, as we, we uh, before we continue and we start in these verses, uh, I, w- I want to take a, a little moment just up front to kind of do a recap on, on what we covered last time. And, and just, uh, again, like I did last time, just uh, some important reminders as we as we talk about wisdom, pursuing wisdom, what that involves. And in the previous chapter, we, we took a couple messages to work our way through verses 1 through 12. I'm sorry, in, earlier in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And we learned, really, that the message of that section was that wholehearted devotion to the Lord, that's the essence of wise living. The essence of wise living, the essence of, of wisdom for your life is, is wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And this is something we always need to keep in mind as we read the book of Proverbs. Always got to keep that in mind, because sometimes when we talk about pursue wisdom, you need wisdom, 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 and it can kind of start to sound abstract and maybe theoretical, or like, oh, it's, that's nice, wisdom, but I want you to remember that this is, this is about a relationship, a right relationship with God, and submitting your life to Him and His wisdom. And so when we talk about pursuing wisdom, we're really talking about knowing the Lord, and growing in our knowledge of him through his word, through his word. So growing in wisdom, it's, it's because of that, if, it, if, it's, if it's getting to know the Lord and, and growing your knowledge of him through the word, that means your pursuit of wisdom is not optional. Pursuing wisdom is not just uh, some extracurricular activity in the Christian life or something for those who have some better ability or, or really just that... that uh, Really, God, I guess, gets them going. They really want to get wisdom. Good for you. No, it's, it's something for everybody. It's something that all of us need to do. And it's, we have to keep in mind that growing in wisdom, it's not something that's completely separate from drawing to the, uh, near to the Lord and growing in a relationship with Him. So if you want to talk about, I, I, I do want to draw near to the Lord. I want to get closer to God. I want to grow in my relationship with Him. I want to grow in my relationship with Christ. Then you need to be pursuing wisdom. Uh, you can't do one without doing the other. So if knowing the Lord and loving the Lord and submitting your life to Him is not front and center, then any attempt to truly become wise will be in vain. So again, we want to keep those ideas in balance. If your goal in pursuing wisdom, if your goal in becoming wise isn't, isn't to, to know the Lord, love, your, love the Lord with all your heart and to submit your life to Him, then you're not going to become wise. And it's actually foolish to, to try to pursue any sort of wisdom because that's the essence of wisdom is devoting yourself to him. And this has already been clearly shown in the opening chapters of Proverbs. And if you remember, right at the beginning of the book, we have the first seven verses was basically a function as an introduction to the whole book. Solomon gives us this introduction to this book of, of wisdom. And right at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 7, he writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So to not rightly, basically on, based on that verse, to not rightly recognize God as your creator and your master, 
your authority in life and to not submit your life to him, that's to demonstrate that you despise wisdom. So Solomon said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And then in chapter 2, he said that if you diligently pursue wisdom, and in chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, if you diligently pursue wisdom, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. In other words, God is the source of wisdom. And it is through his word that he makes it available to us. And he gives it to those of us who seek it out and diligently search for it. So this shows that pursuing wisdom necessarily is going to involve you pursuing the giver of wisdom. If you want the gift of wisdom, you've got to pursue the one who gives wisdom, and that's the Lord. And he gives it through his word. And so knowing him and... Pursuing him and growing in your relationship with him, that is the the ultimate goal in pursuing wisdom, and it's the ultimate prize. That's what we learn in in chapter 2. And even when we look at the teaching of the New Testament, we see that we as Christians are exhorted to live wisely. This wasn't like, well, the Jews were called to live wisely, but we get grace. You know, we don't don't, don't really have to, you know, I stand in grace, so I don't need wisdom. Grace will cover me. No, we're, we're, we're exhorted to live wisely. And in order to do that, we must grow in our knowledge of the Lord through His Word. And, and we see that in, in places like Ephesians 5. Paul talks about that. And in fact, one of Paul's prayers is that we would be, quote, ESV, filled with the knowledge of the Lord's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We need wisdom, his wisdom, in order to walk in a manner that's worthy of him. And Paul, also in one of his letters, stated that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found where? In Christ. So God's given us his wisdom. He's given it to us through his word. And pursuing wisdom is a, is a quest of pursuing your knowledge of the Lord and growing in your relationship with Him and submitting your life to Him, and then it makes sense to say, you know what, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Because if you're pursuing knowledge, wisdom, and the Word of God, and you're missing Christ, then you are missing it all. And you will not be wise. It's in Christ that those treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside. So the Lord's made himself known to us in his word, and as we know him more and more through his word, and as we submit our lives to him by responding in trust and obedience, that's basically what what the goal is. I read the word of God, I respond in trust and obedience. If we're doing that, we're being wise, and we're growing in wisdom. Remember, it doesn't matter where you're at. Don't think of it as like, well, I'm so far behind, it's really hard to catch up. No, it's about you. Pursuing wisdom in God's word and you respond in faith and obedience. You trust God at his word and and you know that this is your best for your life. This is his wisdom for you. And you submit your life to it. And if you do that, you are being wise. And you're growing in wisdom. Now, with all that in mind, now we're going to look at our passage. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 26. So up until this point, Solomon's been emphasizing the importance of diligently pursuing wisdom. And what we're going to see in this passage, he's going to emphasize the importance of retaining wisdom, holding on to it and continuing in it after it's been obtained. 
So, starting in verse 13, we can read along. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, Your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. And so this morning, we're going to consider, in this passage, we're going to consider three reasons why obtaining wisdom is the most worthwhile pursuit in life. There's many things to pursue in life, and this passage is going to show us that the the most worthwhile pursuit is the pursuit of wisdom. Three reasons why. Well, first of all, in verses 13 through 18, it's because wisdom is more profitable than all material wealth. And in verses 19 and 20, we'll see that wisdom was used by God to create the world in which we live. And in verses 21 through 26, We'll see that wisdom will give you true security in life. True security in life. And so with the first point, wisdom is more profitable than all material wealth. Starting in verse 13, we have this opening statement, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. And this is the first time the word blessed appears in Proverbs. And to say that someone is blessed is to say that someone is in a state of true happiness. And you could read it as happy is or happy are those when you see that word blessed, this pronouncement of blessing. But it's, it's someone who's in a state of true happiness. The person who's called blessed in the Bible is the person who's experiencing life in the best way possible. In a way that's most desirable according to God's standards. So by God's definition, truly happy is the person who finds wisdom and gets understanding. So it's by God's standards, not the world's. This, 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 this happiness, this blessedness that we see here. And Solomon says that one, the one who finds wisdom and gets understanding is blessed. And in the verses that follows, he explains why. So we look at verses 14 and 15. He's going to explain why. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. God's wisdom will benefit your life more than money ever could. 
ever will. Money can be used to buy a lot of stuff, right? Having a lot of money um, would enable you to purchase things that are very valuable, hence things like precious jewels, diamond engagement rings. So, some things haven't changed. But Solomon is saying that wisdom is far greater in value. We understand a lot of money can get you a lot of stuff, but wisdom, he says, is far greater in value. He goes so far as to say that nothing you desire can compare with her. She, by the way, being wisdom. Nothing you desire can, be, can compare with her. And literally, that statement in that verse, he says, all of your delights cannot compare with her. All of your delights cannot compare with wisdom. In other words, even if you combine all of the delightful Precious, valuable, material things that can be found in the world, together they cannot compare with wisdom. God's wisdom. Finding wisdom is far greater. That's his statement. And here's why. Verses 16 and 17. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. So the benefits of godly wisdom far exceed the benefits of material wealth. Based on those verses, wisdom has long life to offer. Can money buy you long life or guarantee that? Give you extra days on this earth? Wisdom has long life to offer. And as we saw last time in the the first part of chapter 3, those who are wise are those who trust in the Lord and turn away from evil. Those who are being wise are trusting the Lord and turning away from evil. And if you're wise, then you trust that God's will is best for your life. And you rely on his wisdom to keep you from making foolish and sinful choices that will have destructive consequences and even fatal consequences. You see that? So wisdom holds long life in her right hand. And it makes a lot of sense, actually, if we think about consequences of sin and folly, what that can do to your life, and that can even cut someone's life short. Well, what does wisdom also have to offer? Riches and honor. They're in her left hand. And the, the phrase riches and honor refers to material wealth and, and the honor or the, the social distinction that, you, you, that comes with material wealth. It kind of goes hand in hand, riches and honor, material wealth and honor. Again, as we saw last time in the first part of this chapter, those who are wise are those who trust in the Lord and they honor Him from the top portions of their wealth. They honor the Lord with their wealth. Those who are being wise are honoring the Lord with their wealth and in turn, the Lord generously supplies them with material wealth in His own timing and in His own way. We talked about that. We spent a lot of time talking about that. And he does this, he, he gives them increase as they honor him with their income, with their wealth. He gives them increase so that they may continue to honor him with it. So, wisdom in her left hand is holding riches and honor. And it's reinforcing what we learned last time, earlier in chapter 3. And then in verse 17, we see that wisdom offers pleasantness and peace. Pleasantness and peace for those who follow her ways. And, and think about it. We've mentioned this before. You think about, okay, a long life without pleasantness and peace, even if it had riches and honor. You give me a long life, give me riches and honor, but give me no pleasantness, no peace. That, that's not very desirable. Does that sound appealing to you? 
you're a salesman, try to sell that. Don't think you have any luck. But when you're living life wisely in accordance with the will of God, then you will experience pleasantness and peace. That's what his wisdom has to offer you. And here's why. Because you will be avoiding foolish and sinful thinking and behavior that will make a mess of your life. And this includes your relationships. This includes your home. You need God's wisdom in those areas. A lack of it, there are consequences. There's heartache. There's pain. There's no peace. No pleasantness when you lack God's wisdom for your life. So after considering verses 16 and 17, we can see that the value of wisdom surpasses the value of all material wealth because wisdom offers what money cannot buy. Longer life, pleasantness, peace. Sure, you could use money to perhaps acquire more money, perhaps have some honor, sure, but man, longer life, pleasantness, and, pe- pleasantness and peace, m- money can't guarantee those things. Can't, you can't purchase those things. Therefore, it would be foolish to put a lot of effort into making money, but little to no effort in obtaining wisdom for your life through God's word. One commentator says this, wisdom is better than the profit of silver because money can put food on the table, but not fellowship around it. Money can build a house but not a home. Chew on that. Think about that. Yes, we have material needs. We need food on the table. Do you need food on the table? Thank God that he supplies us with what we need to provide food, our material needs, food, clothing, shelter. Sure. Um, but if you're putting all your effort into that and you're putting no effort into wisdom, which is far greater than what money has to offer, yeah, money's a, a means to meet your material needs, sure, and, and there's nothing wrong with having money and even enjoying some of the benefits that come from that, but you forsake wisdom, sure, you can have a nice house, but is it really a home, a peaceful home for you to live in? You can have excellent food on the table, Proverbs talks about that, I mean, it could be feasting, great fancy feast, but strife, a, wis- a home that lacks wisdom. So, We can see that, yeah, we have material needs. Money can meet that. Money has its benefits. God gives us money for those reasons, okay? But wisdom, we can't neglect it. So the message in this passage is not that material wealth is bad. We want to make that clear. You know, there's nothing extra spiritual spiritual, spiritual about poverty, right? Material wealth is not necessarily a bad thing to have, and, and a lack of it doesn't indicate that you're Uh, more or less spiritual, and uh, abundance of it doesn't indicate that either. Material wealth is actually a good thing, because why? It's beneficial. Sure, it's a good thing. It's something that God supplies us with in order to meet our material needs. Uh, There's nothing wrong with making money, and like I said, enjoying the benefits that it can bring. After all, what did Solomon say? He, He made it clear that one of the rewards of wisdom is an abundance of material wealth. Wisdom can reward you with that. Wise living can actually be rewarding financially for you. However, God's wisdom is what will bring you true and lasting joy in life. Not money and possessions. Although we need to earn a living, you need to earn a living, don't you? It's kind of hard if you don't. So you need to earn a living, we need to earn a living. Here's the thing, we must never neglect the application of God's wisdom to our lives. Solomon is showing in this passage that 
the wisdom is of surpassing value. And he's doing this in order to motivate his son and us to make obtaining wisdom our main pursuit in life. And again, you can get so caught up in, in perhaps the things that you think you need and focused on that, but then you start neglecting the thing that you actually need far more because God's going to meet your needs. Remember Jesus said, you know, there's things about what you'll eat and what you'll wear. Hey, God's taking care of the birds. You're more valuable to him than them, and he'll take care of you. What does he say? Seek first what? His kingdom is righteousness, right? Speaking wisdom to us. And here we see it's, it's seek his wisdom. Seek that first. Make that priority for you. God will meet your needs. And if we, if we make wisdom, pursuing his wisdom, our main pursuit in life, we will truly glorify God for our lives. And here's why. Because we'll not only show that we are trusting that his way is best for us, okay, but as we reap the rewards and experience the blessedness of his wisdom, we will also be living proof that to those around us that his way is best. If you start applying God's wisdom to your life, people are going to see the benefits of that. Watching world, that's, that's part of your testimony. It's going to give God glory. Man, they're going to see your good deeds. They're going to see the peacefulness in your life that comes from an ordered life in submission to God. And they're going to wonder and perhaps give God glory and say, I need God's wisdom. I need to know this, the Lord. Now look at verse 18. Here's what he says about wisdom. Solomon says she's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And Solomon refers to wisdom as a tree of life. Again, we, we hear tree of life. You know, you think, okay, you see that in Genesis, the beginning of creation. We're going to see it later in Scripture, all the way at the end, at the, in the new creation, access to the tree of life for God's people. But here he's, he's really just using this, this picture uh, as a, an illustration. It's just wisdom is a tree of life. And the basic idea is that God's wisdom will nourish your soul and sustain you in life. Again, probably have the tree of life in the Garden of Eden in mind, but what he, the point he's trying to make is it will nourish your, wisdom will nourish your soul and sustain your life. But you must continue in it. Look what he said to those who lay hold of her and hold her fast. If you, if you stop growing in wisdom and you stop applying it, you'll notice the loss of its benefits soon enough. At some point, you'll start wondering, where did my joy in the Lord and my, my contentment go? Uh, where did my, this pleasantness and peace in my home go? What's happening? I, I had it, and I'm lacking peace now and pleasantness in life. I mean, you, you stop actively pursuing God's wisdom, you're going to notice the benefits of his wisdom and the loss of them. God's wisdom should not be treated as a temporary fix. Do you do that sometimes? You go to the Word of God and, and say, or maybe to seek biblical counsel and say, I, I, need, I need help. I, I, need, I have a lot of problems. I need them fixed. Good for you, recognizing that the Word of God is sufficient and you need His wisdom for your life. But sometimes we can maybe get that fixed. I can breathe now. Thanks. And we don't really actually continue in even that counsel that we get from the Word of God. And we don't realize that what was supposed to happen is when we repent and we come to God and say, I, I've been making foolish choices. They've been messing up my life. God, I need your wisdom. 
you know, we don't hold on to it and continue in the counsel we're getting from God's word. And so it's, sure, it might kind of seem like a, a temporary fix, but that's not the point of God giving you wisdom for life. We need to continually feed off of it. It's a tree of life. You need to lay hold of it, hold it fast, not let it go. Tree of life illustration. It's in your hands. So, in verses 19 now and 20, we'll see why it makes perfect sense that wisdom is more profitable than material wealth. Because Solomon says in verse 19 and 20 this, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So, here we see the world that we live in. Guess what? It's not, not the result of some cosmic accident. Not a series of random chance occurrences that began with nothing and somehow everything came from nothing. The world that we live in is the masterpiece of our eternal creator. Skillfully, masterfully designed. God created everything out of nothing. And he designed his creation with infinite skill. Remember, wisdom is it's, it's skill at a basic level. It's moral skill, but it's, it's skill nonetheless. And notice, in verse, notice the verbs in, in verse 19. Founded. Established. The main idea here is that God, by his wisdom, he gave the world he made stability and order. That's the main idea here. This isn't trying to give us a new creation account. We got that. Genesis 1, we're good. This is just... Solomon referring to the fact that in creating the world, God was using his wisdom, and by his wisdom, he, he points to these specific aspects of creation that are specifically related to stability and order. Laid the foundation, founded the earth, established the heavens. And then we have this statement in verse 20. The deeps broke open. Uh, deeps Refer to the ocean waters, and you'll, you'll see that in Genesis 1. It's used elsewhere in Scripture. And, and specifically in this context, it's, it's referring to those waters that covered the earth at the beginning of creation. Because he's talking about when God created the world with his wisdom. So, okay, we're, we're there. That's the context. And the verb that is translated as broke open literally means split, divided. But split, you know, is a little more forceful of an act. And there's some different views on exactly what Solomon's referring to here. What is he talking about? I read Genesis 1, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. What, what part of creation are you talking about? What is he talking about? What's he referring to? And there's different views. I'm just going to let you know what I believe the answer is. And it's not a hill I'm going to die on either. So, but I believe that Solomon is referring to God's uh, dividing of the waters at the beginning of creation. Because some people try to maybe reference a different point in time. But I think it's, it's referring to the dividing of the waters at the beginning of creation, particularly on the third day when God caused the waters uh, to be gathered together in one place and for dry land to appear. And they were essentially divided because dry land, room was made for dry land. And, and this is also kind of a similar wording. And when Moses parted the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea through Moses, the waters were divided and there was dry land. And, and, and so... It seems to be that the idea being communicated by Solomon is that, you know, the point of this statement is that this is what made life on the earth, the, the land in particular, it made life possible. Dry land had to be there. 
And then in the second part of verse 20, Solomon adds that by the Lord's knowledge, the clouds drop down the dew. And again, this is, this is referring, uh, it's a reference to the water cycle. They drop down the dew. They're watering the earth. And it's by this means that life on the land is sustainable. So I would say that, that seems to be the idea. So he's talking about God created the world with stability and order. And by his, his understanding, his knowledge, he made life possible on the earth and sustainable by his design, by the order that he's given his creation. Okay? So what, ex- what exactly is Solomon's point with these verses in verses 19 and 20? And I believe that his, his point is this, like where he's trying to go with this, is that life is sustained on the earth because God, by his wisdom, gave the world stability and order. And one commentator says this, and this is, this is a good way to word it, God's own creative work is characterized by wisdom in that it displays order and operates by certain laws and principles. And the implication I would suggest is that God's wisdom will give you the moral stability and order necessary to sustain you in life the best way possible. I think that's the point he's trying to make. One commentator says this, if the Lord with wisdom as his tool accomplished the wonders of the various phases of creation, think what is revealed wisdom will do in the lives of those who find it. That's pretty, pretty big stuff when we think about it. God, by his wisdom, created the world, and he's made his wisdom available to me in his, world, uh, in his word, and I think it's worth pursuing. So since the Lord utilizes wisdom in building his world, you should utilize his wisdom in building your home in his world. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's very logical, isn't it? Elsewhere in Proverbs, Solomon wrote that by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Wisdom and understanding can, yes, can build a house, but establish it. Stability, order in the home. And at this point... Okay, Solomon's explained to his son that wisdom is more profitable than material wealth. All material wealth, by the way. And he's also explained to his son that wisdom was used by God to create order in the world. And now in verses 21 through 26, Solomon will exhort his son to continue in wisdom because it will give him true and lasting security in life. Security in life that is true and lasting. Look at verse 21. Solomon says this. My son... Do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And now because of the wording of this translation, you may initially think that, hey, the command is do not uh, lose sight of these. And it's referring to what follows. These things I'm about to say, sound wisdom and discretion. And if that's the case, then it would seem that maybe Solomon's starting a new topic and, and perhaps This is the beginning of a different lecture, perhaps. However, I believe this section, it's a continuation of the flow of thought. Hence, that's why it's in this sermon today. We're looking at all of it together. (coughs) And I think it's flowing from his thought from the previous verses. He started by saying, and just as kind of a recap of what he said already, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. 
That was verse 13. And then Solomon says in verse 18 that those who hold fast to wisdom are called blessed. And then he mentions the use of the Lord's use of wisdom and understanding in creating the world in verse 19. And then 20, he mentions the Lord's use of knowledge. So he adds something there. And then in verse 21, he says, don't lose sight of these. Lose sight of what? Well, I would say he's what he's been talking about, which is wisdom and understanding. And, and yeah, he added knowledge in there. And the thing is, these are synonyms. These are all different aspects of the wisdom that, God's, that God gives. So they're distinct, but they're very similar. So, it, it, you know, him saying get understanding isn't necessarily him saying, okay, not wisdom. I want to get specifically understanding, but not wisdom. It's kind of all together. It's a part of the package of pursuing wisdom. And again, some, some other translations reflect this. If you looked at the New American Standard translation, this verse 21, it says this. They write it this way. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. So it doesn't seem to you know, push us forward as much as these, that word these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Now we went to the NIV version, the newest version, 2011. This verse, they translated this way. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding, they just go ahead and drop it in there, out of your sight. Do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight preserve sound judgment and discretion. So you see, and, and Jeremy's talked to you about, you know, we talk about why, you know, translations will do what they do. They're not trying to be unfaithful. They're trying to kind of help, but they make decisions based on what they think the meaning of the passage is. And so they're supplying it. So instead of having somebody like me take a little while to say, wow, I think you know, it's referring to stuff before, and here's why, why, why. And he's like, yeah, okay, wisdom and understanding, right here, we think so. And they're putting it in there for you. So we, we see that now in the second half of verse 21, look at it. Solomon gives a similar command. So, so he says, don't lose sight of these. And I would say wisdom and understanding. But then he says, keep sound wisdom and discretion. And now he's introduced two additional aspects of wisdom. And we've seen these terms before uh, previously in the book of Proverbs. Sound wisdom if we could try to give it a definition, a lot of people have a hard time doing it because of the way it's used, but it's basically insight to effectively deal with problems as they arise in your life so that you have practical success. And again, you could think of it as having effective insights. Discretion is the ability to think things through, particularly the potential consequences of an action so that you might do what's best. So it's, it's the ability to think things through. But you see how they're synonyms too. They're talking about having insight, thinking, using your head, not making foolish decisions that will have destructive consequences, avoiding those things. So they all fall under that category of wisdom. And Solomon's command regarding sound wisdom and discretion is to, to keep these qualities. And literally, it's, it's to watch over them. And so he's still stressing the importance of retaining wisdom. So again, I, this is all connected to what he's been telling us, starting from verse 13. And also, as we're going to see in the remaining verses, Solomon is continuing to emphasize the fact that God's wisdom will nourish your soul and sustain your life. We saw that really in the, the first two sections. And now we're going to see it here. Look at verse 22. And they will be life for your soul and adorn it for your neck. And here Solomon is referring particularly to 
maybe more specifically to sound wisdom and discretion, which he just mentioned, but it's not, like I said, to the exclusion of wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Uh, you need all of it. That's all under the, the wisdom package. And this verse, 22, it literally says, they will be life for your soul. Soul, by the word, that way it can also mean throat. And grace for your neck. That's what it literally says. Life for your soul, life for your throat, grace for your neck. Do you see what he, maybe the point he's getting at? The primary idea here is that God's wisdom will preserve your life. It'll save your neck. It'll be life for your neck, grace, or life for your throat, grace for your neck. Preservation of life. And we're going to see that that's the primary idea because we see in verses 23 and 24, he says this. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And by the way, some translations say that, that grace, the word grace, they translate as adornment because elsewhere he talks about a garland of grace, a graceful garland that wisdom can be on your head. And, and this kind of idea of the, the outward... Uh, Outward beauty of a, of a wise life, of wise living, and an attractiveness that it has, and it's a, in a sense a, a symbol of honor upon you. And some people think that maybe that's what he's talking about because it's their neck, and I guess you wear uh, a necklace and it's an adornment. So let's just call it adornment because grace can mean beautiful. But verse 23 and 24, he's not really talking about how you're perceived and stuff. He's talking about saving your neck, wisdom preserving your life. And the basic idea in this picture is this. Whether you are awake in 23 and 24, whether you're awake or asleep, your life will be secure. This doesn't mean that you don't have to take any precautions when there's an obvious threat of danger. That's not what it's saying. That would be pretty darn foolish to be unwise. If there's an obvious threat of danger, like wisdom will give me sweet sleep. I'm going to go to bed right here. I'm not going to lock my doors. I'm going to sleep out in my driveway with uh, pocket stuff with cash. doesn't make sense, does it? So don't be foolish. This doesn't mean that you don't have to take precautions with obvious danger. And if we looked elsewhere in Proverbs, actually twice it says the same thing. The prudent, another synonym of wisdom, prudent sees danger and hides himself. That's pretty smart. That's wise. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. It's foolish. So here's the point, verses 23 and 24. If you fear the Lord, and if you're walking in wisdom, then you will have no need to live in fear. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, sometimes there can be scary things that happen in life, but we're talking about living living in fear. And if, if if you're fearing the Lord and walking in his wisdom, you don't need to live in fear. Even when you are most vulnerable... Lying asleep on your bed, that's pretty, pretty vulnerable. Lying asleep on your bed. Uh, you won't be afraid if you're fearing the Lord and walking in His wisdom. In fact, Solomon says your sleep will be sweet. Which can also be translated as pleasant. Remember what he said? Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. You want sweet sleep? You want pleasant sleep? That sounds nice. I'll take it. So I'm going to strive to live according to God's wisdom. And I'll tell you what, you know, the more, the more you're walking in obedience to Christ, obedience to the word of God, the more you'll realize that you will have peace 
and you're not going to be maybe as paranoid as the unbelieving world is about everything uh, that's happening. There's no security for them in life. We have the creator of the universe that we have been reconciled to and a loving relationship, and we are counted his children, and he's watching over us. And his wisdom shields us from danger. Proverbs 19.23 says this, just kind of reinforcing this statement that we see in, in the verses we just read. In chapter 19, verse 23 in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, which, by the way, is the beginning of wisdom, so they go hand in hand, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And Solomon's daddy, David, Psalm 4, 8, said this, he had this confidence. And by the way, when you look at the end of David's life, uh, full of years, riches and honor. David was a wise man. Here was David's confidence. He says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And then Solomon concludes this section back in chapter 3 with this, this thought of his, with, with an exhortation to his son. Verses 25 and 26, he, he says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So the wise person the one who fears the Lord and trusts in Him and lives according to His wisdom has no reason to fear, and here's what he's talking about, the impending, irreversible, disastrous consequences that will come crashing down upon the wicked. That is, those who reject wisdom and do not fear the Lord. You don't need to fear that, fear that kind of disaster, that kind of dread, uh, because you do fear the Lord. And you do accept his wisdom and you embrace it. And if you don't, then there is something to dread. Consequences, irreversible, disastrous. Verse 26 tells us why the one who fears the Lord and trusts in him and lives according to his wisdom, the wise person, uh, doesn't need to be afraid of these things. Sudden terror and the ruin of the wicked when it comes. He says in verse 26, the Lord will be your confidence. And a more little tr literal translation would be this. The Lord will be by your side. I like that better, by the way. That's what it literally says. The Lord will be at your side. The Lord will be by your side. The Lord will protect you by means of his wisdom. That's the point. And by means of his wisdom, he will keep you from getting trapped in the deadly snares of sin and folly. Keep your foot from getting caught. And the whole point is that the consequences of sin and folly life is going to keep your foot from getting caught. By his wisdom, he's keeping your foot from getting caught. And he'll be at your side. But he's not just talking about, so if you're a believer, you don't need to pursue wisdom. Yeah, God's right here. He's got you back. He's not going to let anything bad happen to you. You reject wisdom, even, even as a believer, you know, and make sinful choices and foolish choices some of those consequences will come. God will protect you by means of his wisdom. So we need to embrace it and pursue it. So in this passage, we've seen why obtaining God's wisdom is the most, worth, most worthwhile pursuit in life, right? We've gotten a, Solomon's given us a lot of 
uh, good reasons to believe that, to buy into that. We saw that, okay, it's more profitable than material. Wealth has long life. Wealth and honor, pleasantness and peace to offer. We've seen that it will give your life moral stability and order. And we've seen that it will give you true and lasting security. Those all sound very appealing to me. Do they sound appealing to you? And we've been told, where do we get that? How do we get that? It comes from the wisdom of God. Here's a a non-biblical proverb. So in the spirit of Proverbs, I think this is a, a good thing to have at the end. It's in Old English. Maybe I'll reword it, but... I'll say the old English first. Lackest thou wisdom? Can you follow if I do it that way? Okay. Lackest thou wisdom? What hast thou acquired? Hast thou acquired wisdom? What lackest thou? Let's clean that up a little bit. All right, Christian. Do you lack wisdom? If you do, what have you acquired then? You see what what the point is? Hey, have you acquired wisdom? What do you lack? See that? Chew on it. It's a proverb. All right, so look at your Bible. Look at your Bible. You got one of those in your hands? Is it on your phone? Okay. So if it's on your phone, I'm talking about the Bible, not your phone. It's a precious, precious possession. We have an abundance of these precious possessions in our our country, and we're spoiled. God has made his wisdom available to you in it. It is a tree of life. Picture that. In your hands, it's a tree of life, and if you would lay hold of it and live by it, you will be blessed. You will experience this true happiness that comes from a right relationship and right living in submission to God. And that doesn't come apart from faith through Jesus Christ, right? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, if you don't have a relationship with Christ... You were lacking everything. And the wrath of God abides on you. Scripture is clear. And that's why, you know what? The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. It's to come to believe that he is creator of this world. He's righteous and holy. And that you are a sinner and under his condemnation. There's nothing that you can do to earn his favor. You deserve justice. But believing the truth that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to lay down his life as a substitute, to die in the place and pay the penalty that you as a sinner deserve. So that by trusting in his death and resurrection and placing your faith in him, you might be reconciled to God and be forgiven. (coughs) That would be the beginning of wisdom for you. And so what we want to do anytime at the end of service is if, if, if you have questions about the gospel, about Christ, We'll be up here to talk. Jeremy will be up here. I'll be up here. And if you have, again, any questions, even about what we just looked at this morning, come and talk to us. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for not leaving us in darkness, but giving us light through your word and giving us life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would see the the case that has been brought before us in, in, in this section of Proverbs and just to, to see the surpassing value of your wisdom, that we truly would see it and truly pursue it, be motivated to pursue it above all things, Lord, because we know that if we seek you first, if we're seeking your will first for our lives, that everything else that we might be concerned about will be right or be taken care of or will be the best for us, Lord. We know that your will is best for our lives and we just pray that you would, you would keep us from making foolish and sinful choices and, and help us to be disciplined, to dil- diligently take hold of your word and to gain your wisdom, Lord, for our lives and that we would hold fast to it and continue in your instruction. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf for giving us life and giving us understanding that we might believe the gospel and be saved through our faith in you and be reconciled to the father holy spirit we ask for your empowerment and enablement as we grow in our sanctification to live lives that reflect godly wisdom and to live lives that bring praise and glory to God, to love you, Lord God, and to love our neighbor as ourself. As we're blessing on our week and the rest of our, our day today, may we not forget the truth of your word that we've heard this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.